Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Today's episode is brought to you by Your Story, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and game publisher based in the Winnipeg area. Be sure to stay tuned and listen to hear more about Your Story's amazing works, including The River Nose and a whole host of other sci-fi comic books. Tonight's show is going to be recapping some of the weekend games that have begun in the start to round two of the NHL bubble playoffs. Some of the games have been more exciting than others. I think a few are surprising in some respects, especially the one that's currently underway, Tampa Bay versus Boston, but we'll start off with Dallas versus Colorado. I mentioned earlier that if Dallas wanted to beat the Avs, it'd need the big guns to show up, and I think in this game we saw guys like Tyler Sagan and Alexander Radulov show up in a big way. Those two had a couple of goals themselves, and the rest of the team was able to create quite a bit of pressure on the Colorado Avalanche, getting some greasy deflections and a few lucky bounces here and there that ended up tipping the game in uh, Dallas's favor. Unfortunately for the Avs, they did lose uh, Philip Grubauer at some point earlier in the game. I'm not exactly sure what happened to him, but he seemed to suffer a lower body injury, which I think Gruby has had like some injury troubles in the past. He unfortunately could not skate off the ice himself and had to be helped off, which is not really a good sign if you're an Avs fan, and I'm sure his teammates are very concerned for him as well. Grubauer is a pretty well-liked guy, and I I think that the Avs certainly will miss him quite a bit, especially if he's out for any extended period of time. Pavel Frankuz came in in relief and was okay. I I think that Frankuz did about as much as you could ask. I just feel like Colorado wasn't really playing a particularly strong game, and I feel like overall they probably won't be happy with their effort. Guys like Eric Johnson got battered around a bit, some of their star players weren't able to create as much offense or get into those dangerous areas and really test Anton Hudobin, or if they were able to get there, Hudobin had the answer every t- every single time, uh, barring a couple of notable instances. I will say that Nathan McKinnon had a big game, I thought he was very good, and again, he continues to show why a lot of people compare him in some ways to the way that Connor McDavid can kind of take over a shift. He just seems to dominate possession of the puck and get into those really dangerous areas, or even when he's not in those dangerous areas, he's still able to create a ton of offense with really sharp shooting, great passing, great edge work, and just a really explosive approach to the game. As far as the rest of the Avs are concerned, I'm sure that they'll be disappointed in the overall performance. They looked a touch slower than Dallas, and they weren't able to create as much offense as I expected. I think the Stars were just very good in terms of... uh, Occasionally snuffing out some dangerous opportunities, staying at least at the same speed as Colorado skaters, and kind of stifling some of the offensive creativity that the team is known for. In a lot of the greasier areas, the Dallas Stars also got some nice saves from from Hudobin, some good clearances, and then, then, you know, the Stars were able to counter and head the other way and score a nice goal or two. A couple of busted opportunities that ended up being really nice goals on defensive miscues from Colorado, and just some general av sloppiness probably tilted the scoreline a little more than you might expect, and I'd imagine that the Avs will look a lot better when they come back, I believe, tomorrow. So I, I think that the Avs are still in this series. It's not really a, a game-breaking thing to, to lose this first one, but they can't let Dallas dictate the pace of the series going forward. And really, you know, when they when they concede a bit of an ugly first goal, recover quickly, get back in it, and work on the rest. The Avalanche haven't really faced a whole lot of adversity lately because they've been running over opponents, but the Stars are actually playing pretty good hockey and getting into some more dangerous areas, as well as getting some nice deflections off of point shots. 
with young guns like Heiskanen and Guriana of getting additional supplemental scoring and actually, in some cases, leading some of the scoring races for their respective positions, the Avs can't let up. I also wanted to give you a heads up that in case you did not see on Friday, the St. Louis Blues actually got eliminated by the Vancouver Canucks, another team that I think in some ways is putting on a bit of a surprising show. Just like the Dallas Stars, Vancouver has probably overperformed in some areas, but they're also getting some really good contributions in ways that are repeatable from some of their other players like Petrosian and Quinn Hughes and Horvat. This game, though, was kind of a story of their depth forwards going toe-to-toe with some of St. Louis's depth forwards and ultimately winning. Tyler Mott and Jay Beagle both had a couple of goals, and it was one of those weird situations where you feel like some of these guys who aren't actually really great at 5v5 play we're still able to find ways to contribute on the score sheet anyways. It didn't help that I think Jordan Bennington was pretty bad for the Blues. I feel like he let in quite a few stinkers, and it just wasn't a very good performance from him, and even Jake Allen wasn't able to really stem the tide either. The Canucks present an interesting challenge because I feel like their team is actually not quite as deep as it's appeared to be, but they're still getting timely contributions from players up and down the lineup, regardless of whether or not they're able to drive play or not get pummeled in their own defensive zone. I'll talk about their upcoming series in a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be against the Vegas Golden Knights, and I think that Vancouver is facing a much stauncher and more difficult opponent than the Blues were. You know, St. Louis had quite a few skaters missing, including Vladimir Tarasenko, after a couple games, and the Knights are just a totally different ball game. I was suspicious of the Blues, but I am most definitely not suspicious of what Vegas is capable of doing, and I think Vancouver might be in a little bit of trouble. I did say the same thing about Dallas versus Colorado because I was thinking that maybe Dallas's success was not quite sustainable, but obviously that appears to be a little bit of a different story. I think that that's not going to be the same case for Vancouver versus the the Vegas Golden Knights. Ironically, the biggest storyline heading into the series is actually more to do with Vegas than it is the Vancouver Canucks. You know, Alan Walsh, player agent extraordinaire that he is, and also kind of a troll, posted a meme of his client, Marc-Andre Fleury, getting impaled by a giant sword, suggesting that Pete DeBoer is stabbing Fleury in the back for starting Lerner now. Fleury asked him to delete the tweet just because... For him, it was creating unnecessary attention and drama, but I think, you know, it does suggest that there may be some animosity here between between Walsh and the team, which Allen is definitely a controversial figure in the scene, and I feel like this is just a distraction that Vegas did not need, but hopefully the Knights are able to move past it and put on the performance of what we expect from them. They'll certainly have to against Vancouver, who have been fairly op- opportunistic, and I feel like, in some cases, that opportunism might actually be a significant advantage against a team like the Knights, who haven't faced as many quality opponents yet. If the Canucks can hit them with quality counters and get some contributions from players like Brock Besser, who's been a little bit quieter this series, and maybe a bit more scoring from Bo Horvat, I think that you have the makings of a really good matchup between two teams that can play with a lot of speed, really great passing and distribution, and just fun hockey. Vancouver's defense is definitely going to be one of the focal points of the series because I think the Golden Knights roster and defensive structure is pretty fast and furious and very capable of hemming you in in your own end, which for the Canucks is not a situation that they want to be in because Jacob Markstrom, as good as he can be, is going to have a, a real handful against this Knights roster. Up next, we will give you a live look-in at Boston versus Tampa Bay, which is the first game of that series, but before then I thought I'd talk a little bit more about your story, Transmedia. I mentioned your story at the start of the show as a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video game publisher in Winnipeg. Personally, for me, I very much enjoy a lot of uh, sci-fi comic books, sometimes some comedy, a little bit of noir, some darker stories, a little bit of grit. And your story actually caters to a lot of different tastes. Many of these are already included in some of their current works, including their flagship comic book, 
The River Nose. If you've never heard of The River Nose, it's set in Winnipeg during the 1960s and features a supernatural detective story mixed in with some Sin City vibes and vague cosmic horror. The art style is pretty cool and reminds me of Sin City if you've ever had the chance to read that. If you're into games, they're also publishing something called Alien Machine Glow, which will be out in the near future. It's a family-friendly, fun-for-all-ages game centering around a guy named Farmer Gill, who uh, actually ends up being able to see aliens after a meteorite lands in his cucumber patch. If you're interested in checking out Alien Machine Glow, The River Knows, or any of Your Story's other featured works, be sure to head on over to yourstory.ca, where you can purchase any of their ebooks or their limited-edition, high-quality first printing run of their 85 by 11 magazine style comics. Be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Again, that is JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we are going to be taking a live look in at Boston Bruins versus the Tampa Bay Lightning, the first game in this best of seven series in the second round of the bubble playoffs. This was a series that I had penciled in as being something fairly even and very difficult for either team to break the other, and I feel like that's kind of what we saw, but things started to change as the game wore on. The first period was fairly even between two teams that were able to get some nice uh, dangerous opportunities in the low slot area, as well as some really strong counters, but there was also quite a bit of defensive organization. Both these squads have really big but strong physical and skilled back ends, which allows them to kind of clog that slot area and keep the opposing team away from getting those dangerous opportunities on a frequent basis. All that said, there were a couple of nice little breakaways and odd man situations that both teams kind of survived and got some really great saves from both Vasilevsky and uh, Halak. Yaroslav Halak has always been a bit underrated throughout his career, and he's going to you know, be one of those guys who puts on a show throughout this postseason if he's on his best form, which thus far it kind of looks like he has been. It did help that for the most part, Boston really didn't give Tampa Bay too many ins towards the net, but actually the Bruins were the ones to strike first. They got a nice little high tip from Charlie Coyle, who I kind of forget is on the Bruins roster, even though I think he actually played for BU and has quite a few ties to the Boston area. Coyle is one of those quietly effective centers who I feel like does the perfect kind of job for Boston, marrying size, physicality, strength, and skill into a really well-versed two-way package. He'll also score some goals for you, and I think this is, what, his third or fourth goal of the postseason? That first goal was right before the end of the first period, so that's probably a bit of a dispiriting moment if you are the Tampa Bay Lightning. The second period saw not a whole lot, you know, changing between these two teams. Both, again, were very good, and both put in some serious shifts. But again, it was the Tampa Bay Lightning who took an undisciplined penalty, which there were a couple of minors earlier on, but here's one that they didn't want to take because David Pasternak, off of a really good passing clinic, ended up scoring to put him up to nothing. If you're the Lightning, that's just not one that can get away from you, especially in a situation where it's really hard to get into Boston's slot area with all of these skilled scorers that you have on your roster. The Bruins were able to really limit just how much Tampa Bay was getting joy in their offensive zone, so I feel like this is a situation where if you if you take a penalty and Boston scores, you're going to have a heck of a time going back and getting a goal. It didn't help that the strong effort that we saw from Tampa Bay in the first two periods kind of vanished once the third period rolled around. Immediately in the first couple of minutes, Tampa Bay just looked really scrambly, they were struggling to skate, and Brad Marchand ended up getting a really nice turnover from Patrice Bergeron to put him up 3 nothing. Despite the really bad deficit, the Lightning weren't quite ready to sit down and rest, and it turns out that right before the midway point of the period, Victor Hedman scored to make it 3-1. It's a small sign of life, but I think there are some takeaways from this game as a whole that is probably going to end with the Bruins winning, and I think the first thing is that Tampa Bay is definitely finding it very hard to get towards that net area around Halak, because 
Boston just seems to silence you as soon as you get near. The Bruins have a big, strong, skilled defense with really good positioning and very good systemic approach to it, which I think allows them to clog up that neutral zone area, clog up the slot area, and just create a really difficult wall for you to pass by. You spend so much energy trying to get to Halak that when the Bruins hit you with a counters, and you know, they have a pretty nice forechecking unit too, it often allows it to open up space for guys like Pasternak, Krejci, Marshan, Coyle, all these other players to get towards a net front area and score. Boston sometimes does get caught out with a little bit of slower foot speed, which has been an issue for them throughout this game. There are some situations where the Tampa Bay Lightning had a couple of really nice breakaways or some odd man situations, and there was one chance that I think uh, it was Barkley Goodrow who kind of got it off the post and then off of the pad, but the puck stayed out. It was a really nice goal, goal line like passing sequence and one that was so fast that Boston skaters really didn't pick it up until it was almost too late. You can catch the Bruins with their heavier step, but uh, you know, other than that, it's kind of hard to break this team down and I think the Lightning have found it extremely difficult to find a way through this defense. Tampa Bay also has to be careful because if you start taking undisciplined penalties, it's going to result in Boston just burying you. That Bruins power play, especially the one that Pasternak scored on, had extremely fluid movement and a really nice setup for Pasternak to just one-time it cleanly past Vasilevsky. That's a situation that you need to avoid because Pasternak, again, was one of the top goal scorers this year and somebody who can punish you very quickly, but he's not the only good goal scorer on that team. You've got Marchand and Bergeron who are completely capable of undressing you as well. So Tampa Bay is just going to have to clean it up and hope that their physicality and speed ends up winning out. Even in the likelihood that they drop this first game, I feel like they're also not panicking, just kind of like the uh, the Avs are. This is a bit of a uh, a bit of a shock for the first game, but I think they also expected a pretty stiff opponent in Boston. You know, the Bruins have been very good throughout this postseason, especially after the initial round robin, and they aren't a team to be trifled with. They definitely have a good forecheck, they've got really sound defensive structure, they've got great goaltending that we're seeing from Halak. It's just going to be a tough test for this Lightning squad, especially after the grueling series that was Columbus. We'll see who wins out, but I wouldn't be shocked if Boston is able to take the overall series in like six games. Up next, we'll preview Vancouver versus Vegas and talk a little bit about New York versus Philadelphia, which will take place tomorrow. Welcome back. It is officially playoff preview time, and actually one of the previews we are about to discuss is a game that is just about to get underway between the Vancouver Canucks and the Vegas Golden Knights. This is going to be a strange game because I feel like Vancouver has, for the most part, outperformed expectations on a level that I don't think people were really anticipating. You know, this is one of the rare occasions where they've actually managed to get to the second round of the postseason. No one expected Vancouver to make it this far, but here they are. They eliminated the reigning Stanley Cup champs and did it in pretty convincing fashion, relatively speaking. And now they're facing one of the best teams in the NHL in Vegas. This is a team that I feel like Vancouver is going to struggle mightily against because everyone struggles against Vegas. The Knights are a really fast, really strong really skilled team with tons of great passers, lots of really cheeky scorers, and a tough defensive outfit with a fairly decent goaltending duo in net. Although you probably want to look away if you're Marc-Andre Fleury because his recent numbers haven't been as strong as he used to be. Robin Lerner, though, has definitely proven that he can be pretty good. His playoff numbers right now are a little bit sketchy just because I feel like he hasn't quite been on his top form and the Vegas defense has allowed a few chances that they probably uh, wouldn't give up during the regular season. 
but overall they score enough to outperform most of their defensive and goaltending issues, so it's not like Vegas is breaking too much of a sweat. Vancouver is arguably going to have the much taller task because they have to contend with Vegas's pure speed and skill, which for that Vancouver back end is probably a bigger ask than you know they would want to have to deal with under normal circumstances, but they've made it this far. They've managed to grind out some really good and impressive games, and there were a couple of games against the Blues that were legitimately not just lucky, but very good performances overall. I think Vegas does it in five or six games, but it also would not shock me if somehow Vancouver emerges at the end of this series because it's what Vancouver has done throughout the entire postseason. Upset expectations more than you'd think. The next series we'll be previewing is Philadelphia versus the New York Islanders, which is going to be an odd one just because I think both teams actually have a really interesting ability to shut down the slot and neutral zone areas with some really cloggy play. That aggressive defensive style would probably favor the New York Islanders just because they have Barry Trotz and he's very much somebody who likes to game plan, uh, you know, a very defensive shell-like style, especially with guys who are maybe not as skilled because that's how they've had to do it. They don't have a lot of explosive goal scoring outside of like the first couple of lines and they really have to rely on using physicality and a grindy forecheck to just kind of work out offense. Philadelphia definitely has the skill and speed edge, but it might not matter if the Islanders are able to stifle them throughout the entire series. The other thing that's going to be an issue for the Islanders, though, is that what New York can do to them, the Flyers can also do back to New York. Philadelphia showed some really impressive defensive acumen, especially in some of those games where they basically strangled Montreal's offense down to the very last minute, really. After some loose early defensive efforts, we saw Philadelphia really buckle down and get it done, which is something that I don't think people were expecting from this team, even though it is an Elaine Vigneault coach team. We've seen a lot more free-flowing offense from the Philadelphia Flyers throughout the regular season, so seeing them being defensively attuned and really tight is, is kind of a change of pace. It's probably going to give Trot some headaches because he knows that they have the ability to play a really pacey, high-speed, high-skill game, and now he also knows that they're able to shut things down as easily as the Islanders do, especially like the Islanders did against the Washington Capitals. I think Philadelphia wins in 6 or 7, but again, it's going to be a really tight series, and you might as well just flip a coin at this point because it's going to depend on which version of the Flyers show up. If the good Flyers show up, it could definitely be a shorter series, but I think the Islanders are going to be an extremely tough out, and they were, you know, among the playoff teams have been playing some of the best hockey of any of the teams we've seen. Kind of a rarity, but they really thrashed Washington, and maybe they can do the same against the Flyers. We'll see soon enough. That's going to do it for tonight's episode. I'll have some recaps for you tomorrow evening, including tonight's game between Vancouver and Vegas. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. She'll have plenty of coverage from all around the NHL, including some new announcements. And be sure to check out our other affiliate shows in case you want some deeper dives into the rest of the NHL playoff picture. Thanks for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!